If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Welcome to Cult Talk with Aaron Martin, a conversation, not an investigation. Cult Talk is a podcast that explores the realities of cult life, how they operate, who joins them, why people stay, and how some members eventually find their way out. Season one of Cult Talk will focus on a little-known cult called the Kobu, which stands for the Church of Bible Understanding, led by Stuart Trail. To conclude the first season of Cult Talk, I'll be talking to cult expert and survivor advocate Diane Benskoder. In the 70s, Diane joined the Moonies at age 17, and she stayed in it for five years. Afterwards, she became a culty programmer for a short time, something that she was actually arrested for. And now she's a cult expert who advocates for survivors of cults via videos, presentations, podcasts. She's even founding a new project called the Antidote Program. Diane published a memoir of her time in the Moonies entitled Shoes of a Servant, My Unconditional Devotion to a Lie. It's a fantastic recounting of what it's like to actually be in an oppressive group and what it takes to get out. She's done TED Talks on how cults rewire your brain. She's created an Own Your Brain video series on her YouTube channel. You can check out the show notes for this episode and the next one to look at all of Diane's work. Today, Diane joins us to wrap up season one of Cult Talk by sharing a bit of her own story, but more importantly, offering hope to those who are finding their way out of oppressive groups and looking for ways to heal. Here's part one of my two-part interview with cult expert Diane Benskoder. Well, Diane, I'm so happy to have you here today. I've been reading your book. I've been looking at your videos on YouTube, and you're doing such amazing work. So welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, and thank you for your interest in this topic. Yeah, I've I've been covering, as you know, a cult called the Kobu, the Church of Bible Understanding, which was around, it was really big in the 70s and 80s, but it is still around in skeleton form today. And my parents were a part of that early on. And it was really the same time period when you started your journey into the world of cults. But in your case, it was the People's Temple or the Moonies. So could you give us just a little bit of background on what led you to that group and just kind of a nutshell bio of where you've been? Sure. I guess the place to start is 
with my own vulnerability at that time. I was 17 and I was in Nebraska in a tiny little town and there was a lot going on in the world during that time. The Vietnam War was happening and I was really upset about the war and I wanted to do something to make a difference in the world or to at least try to understand what was going on with these friends of mine or the older siblings of my friends getting sent off to Vietnam. Right. And so I was absolutely searching for something. When I came across the Moonies, I was invited to go on this walk for world peace so it was a five-day walk from Omaha to Des Moines. And during that walk, the members of the group would talk to me continuously about how they were going to make a difference in the world and how they understood why the world was like it was and what they were going to do about it. And then every evening, there would be lectures. And the leader of the church in Nebraska was very charismatic and uh, seemed very intelligent. And so I believed every word he said. And I also was taken in. It was infectious, the, the enthusiasm that these people had about their desire to save the world from evil. Then by the time we were on like day four of the walk, I came to realize that they believed was that the Messiah was on the earth and that I was chosen by God to be part of this. Right. And the Messiah was Sun Myung Moon? The Messiah was Sun Myung Moon. And they had all kinds of what seemed like logical explanations for why it was him and why it had to be him. And I had a moment where I just really believed that they were right about that and that this all made sense. And that's why I was my life seemed so in turmoil because God was working through it to prepare me for this. Mm -hmm. And yeah. yeah, you explained, you explained this really well in your book and it helped me understand the tenets of the, the Moonies because what they did, it seems like, and clarify this for me if I'm not getting it right, but they really, they really gave you what seemed like a logical pathway to believe that Sun Yun Moon was the Messiah saying, this is the historical reference you need to know. This is, you know, this is why it wasn't just like you need to blindly trust. So they were trying to give you what seemed like logic, what you, what you came to realize wasn't logical. Is that correct? That's, that's right. Erin. Yeah. And the, the thing that's important to understand is that people don't join groups like this because they're religious scholars. And they have done tons of research and and decided that this makes the most sense. People, there's pl there's enough explanation and there's lots of people that seem intelligent that are agreeing that this is the truth and that this makes sense. But what the reason people join these groups is because of an emotional reason, a psychological reason. There's a need that they have that this is giving them and filling for them a, a community, a sense of purpose, a, a belief that their life has meaning. Those are the reasons that people join. And the doctrine is almost irrelevant, although it's almost always tied up in a nice little package so that you can feel confident that it is the truth. Right. And that's so well said. I, I think I can relate to my parents' story matching that almost entirely. You know, they were looking for something and the doctrine was uh, beside the point. And this was the same time period you were, you were in that, right in that same time period, the seventies, you know, 
Richard Nixon, it, it was interesting to me to read in the book how the Moonies actually were behind him when really at the beginning of this, you were looking at uh, anti-war movements and peace walks. And so you had to make that leap. Yes, that was a little bit hard for me. But at the same time, I was caught up in this belief that I was a mere mortal and that even though I couldn't understand it completely, what I did know was that the Messiah was on the earth and that that was the same as God. And so whatever he was saying, he understood it in ways that I couldn't possibly. And I think that's a theme that runs through a lot of groups is they the doctrine is more important. The leader is more important. The, the belief in them is what our role as followers were. We were supposed to believe blindly in this, and that's what made us a good person, is that we had the faith of a child. And that was a pure... We got a lot of accolades for believing blindly as we were supposed to, and why wouldn't we? After all, we knew we were imperfect, and we believed that the leader was perfect, and so, of course, we should acquiesce to them. Right. And so... It becomes a very black and white thought process and an us versus them. You referenced thinking about everyone outside of the group as satanic and needing to, you know, the, the word indemnity came up a lot, paying indemnity for your own sins. And so even if you would question something, you would feel that it was Satan invading. Yeah, built into the doctrine. And again, across the board, I found in whether it's a a racist hate group or a different kind of religious group, there tends to be a us versus them mentality that is built into it. And that's really important if your goal is to control people's lives and thought processes. It's really important to believe that we're fighting the good battle. There's a righteousness about it. And it's feel it's very intoxicating to feel like you have you have the corner on truth right. the, yeah. and that you know, everything you do is going to go down in history as being on the right side, on God's side of, of a battle against good and evil. I mean, we're programmed with that from the time we start watching cartoons. Uh, there's this whole good and evil theme that runs through many things in the world. And so it's easy to hook up into that and, and suddenly feel like, well, thank goodness I'm on the right side of history. Oh, God, that's so true. That is so true. You can look at that in such a wider sense. Yeah. When you were getting really deeper into this group and you were really believing, you talk a lot about how your family was affected and how your relationship with your mom and your siblings was affected during this time and your father, you know, where you really wanted to bring them onto the side of truth. You know, speaking of being intoxicated with that idea that you're on the right side of history. But they were resisting that and they were really probably thinking you needed to get out of that group. And so there's this cutting yourself off from the family because of the group that is really typical in, in how cults operate, you know, with everyone. How did you, how did you work through that? You just held out hope that your, your family would one day come over. They held out hope that you would leave. I mean, describe how your relationships worked with your family of origin throughout your time in the Moonies. The way that it was framed in the um, belief system, the doctrine was that it wasn't necessarily that my family was evil. 
it was that there was a bigger battle going on and it happened on the spiritual level and so there was satanic forces that were that were of course trying to stop me because i was a disciple of christ and so satan would put a lot of energy or satanic forces would put a lot of energy into pulling me out and so the p- way to do that was to work through the ones you love the most, your family and closest friends. And so it was explained that if you love your family, the best thing you can do is work diligently, sacrifice greatly so that that will take some of the power away from the satanic forces. It was an act of love to work harder, to kind of turn your back on your family for the moment because in the bigger picture that will allow them to understand the truth sooner. And I was actually struck, speaking of working harder, how how hard you worked when you were in the Moonies. I mean, you were fundraising for the majority of your time there. And when I spoke to my mom about, you know, our connecting with you, she was talking about, oh, yeah, we knew about the Moonies and we, we saw them out witnessing when we were out witnessing. And she, of course, my family's called, they did uh, floor cleaning and vacuum, you know, and the, the, the call leader was a vacuum repairman. So... They did refinishing floors and, you know, they did their fundraising based on his supposed talents and interests. It's basically the same thing, though. They were working to make money for him and for the group, and they thought it was in the name of God, but of course it isn't. And they work like dogs, too, and fell asleep in meetings and the whole thing. And when I was reading about what you did at such a young age, I just, I I was struck by the similarities. But tell us specifically what kind of work you did in the Moonies. At that time, what the the Moonies, the Unification Church was doing was they created these teams. They were called the mobile fundraising teams. Mm-hmm. And they sent us out in, in bands to different parts of the country. And there would be, it was organized in regions and there were captains that would be in charge of of getting the products that then we would sell. And so it was often flowers or candy and we would be given our product first thing in the morning after, of course, singing holy songs and praying and dedicating ourselves to this. And it became God's work because God needed money to to be able to do the work that needed to be done to change the world. And so we would set our goals. And it was so important to make your goal because if you didn't make your goal, it was because you let Satan invade somehow, because your thoughts weren't pure enough, because you weren't dedicated enough, because you maybe let your desire for sleep or food or or just feeling sorry for yourself or whatever take over. And so you knew you didn't want to have to face that at the end of the day and to say that you let God down. And so we would be dropped off in an area with our candy or flowers, and we would go from store to store, up and down a a street, or maybe an apartment complex, or in front of a grocery store, and just sell our hearts out and do our very best. Because as soon as the captain came around to pick you up and you prayed, the first thing you do is count your money. And that was a barometer of how well you were doing spiritually. Right. It was all the finances was wrapped up with a spiritual basis. They were telling you it was for God, but really it was to make as much money as you possibly could that day. That's right. For the group. Yeah. Yeah. And 
So if you're addicted to power and money, like any addiction, it because you can't quite get enough. It's always more and more and more. If you become addicted to power and money, then you need to have people dedicate themselves. What could be more intoxicating? What could be more powerful than having people devote their lives and to work? It's it's stronger. The your your desire to work is stronger than if there were chains on you and that you were a slave. You were, you are a slave, but the chains are psychological and you desire to do more, not because you're afraid of punishment, although there is that, but you're afraid of letting God down. You're afraid of letting your ancestors and descendants and the world down. And so it's a really powerful way to have people dedicate themselves and to have basically free slaves. Yeah, absolutely. I definitely refer to that in the Kobu. You know, it was a slave labor force for Stuart Trail, the leader. And yeah, you know, that's, that's what it comes down to. It absolutely does. But you're right. I think touching on that idea of psychological chains is really powerful because one of the questions you probably get from people who you know, are just wondering how to cult operator, who would join this or why would they say is it all that stuff? Why don't you just leave? You're not a captive, but it's, it's so much bigger than someone holding you against your will, you know, yeah, your, your that, will has been broken. Well, yeah. And it's really interesting to talk to somebody who is under the influence of psychological manipulation, because what they will tell you is, and they're trained oftentimes in, in some way to say words like, well, I could leave anytime I want. Of course, I'm not under any kind of chains. Look at me. I can choose whatever I want. I can walk away anytime I want. I choose to be here. Right. And it, it is on one level, it feels like that. It feels like you're making this choice. And that's because there's a lack of understanding of how powerful psychological manipulation really is. There's a point in the book where you write about a horrific incident where you were assaulted by three men because you were put in these unsafe, very unsafe situations, selling these products all over the place by yourself, very young girl. And you actually, this leads me to thinking about your, you weren't trapped, you know, to stay in the Moonies after that, but you had those psychological chains, I guess, that made you feel like you needed to stay to be forgiven for something that had been done to you and was no fault of your own. Can you explain how that, you know, without, without going into to details if you don't want to, but how that incident occurred and the reaction to it? Because it is... It's so heart-wrenching, and it was so heart-wrenching to hear you retell that in the book, but I think it speaks to the really strong hold that these coercive groups can have over you, even in times like that. Yeah. Um, in this particular group, one of the things that we were told very early on is that the reason the world was in such horrible situation is that um, the fall of man happened and their definition of the fall of man had to do with sex. And so it was our, in order to mend that, in order to make it right, we as followers of the, of the disciples of Christ, we had to be pure 
And the worst thing that could happen is that we would have sex before marriage, before Moon, who is the Messiah, chose our mate for us so that we would have restore the fall of man by having a sacred and a God-chosen mate. And so what happened to me is that I was I was in a situation that was dangerous in the fact that I was trying to get back to the center where we lived and I had been I'd been out of town and I came back and instead of ask I didn't have any money so we were told always to you know fundraise or ask for help so I asked for a ride by these guys and they ended up taking me uh to a city dump and and raping me and and almost killing me and um how would you like to look five years younger in a clinical study people that had volume added with juvederm voluma xc in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. During that time, I actually prayed for them because I knew that what they were doing was the very worst thing that anyone could possibly do. And I felt really guilty because I thought I must have done something wrong to set myself up to be in a situation where Satan could invade like this. Mm. And I was actually, when I was finally reconnected with the head of the church, that was his first concern was, would I be able to even, was I now ruined? in the sense that I could never be blessed or get married. that the, It was called the blessing, What when Moon would choose a mate for you. So because I was defiled by this, there was some suggestion that maybe I would never be able to, to have that and, and that I needed to really repent for what had happened because obviously I had, it was because of my past sins or because I had, sin in my heart, or most likely this, he told me it was because of my past, because I'd been into drugs and had had had, had uh, sex before marriage at that point, before I joined the group. And so when I was actually found out, they took it all the way to, to Moon to ask if I would 
be able to receive the blessing. And when I got the news back that, yes, I would be able to still, if I worked hard and prayed hard, it was like the heavens had opened up and I'd been given this great gift of forgiveness for my wretchedness wow. that had led to this, and uh, which made me even more dedicated. When you look back on that now, how do you unpack that, how, how that psychology worked for you? Because I'm, I'm, I'm sure I'm hoping you've gotten, you know, you've worked through that in a much different way now. Like, how does that, when you reflect on that, what do you think? Well, I did do quite a bit of counseling um, to, as you say, unpack what had happened and to um, make peace with it. And so as I look at it now, what I come to is that I, I realize how human vulnerability works. And it's a window into why a lot of people who are victims of sexual abuse or incest or, or, or any kind of manipulative relationship, abusive relationships, how they are able to keep keep letting it happen, so to speak. It's You have to find a way to frame it in your mind or it's framed for you by your abuser. And it typically puts you down and then saves you. So that whole put you down, make you have issues or problems. They, they see, they make you believe that there's something wrong with you and that they're your savior. That's very typical. And so the way to heal from that is to realize that you were taken advantage of, that you were manipulated, that they were lying to you about who you were, that you actually have the right to stand up for yourself and that everyone has the right not to be abused. And so it has to do with forgiving yourself and also standing up for yourself and making sure that you realize that it will, that will never happen to you again and that that's in your past, but there's lessons in it and there's strength you can gain from being more empowered. Yeah, that's really helpful. I think that's helpful in not just people who are in cults, like you say, just in an abusive situation, period. Right. We'll pause here for now, but join us for the continuing story on the next episode of Cult Talk. Also, join the listener conversation over on the Cult Talk with Aaron Martin Facebook page. Follow at Cult Talk on Twitter and Instagram, and don't forget to subscribe to the podcast from any platform and leave us a five-star rating and review in iTunes. Cult Talk is written and hosted by me, Aaron Martin, and produced by Dan McInerney. See the show notes attached to this episode for all links to resources and social media associated with Cult Talk. Before Shopify, were you wondering, where are my sales at? Now you're selling with Shopify, the global commerce platform supercharging your selling. You have no problem selling online, in person, on social media, and beyond. Gary, easy on the cha-ching. <clears throat> oh, sorry, but my Shopify sales are through the roof. Start selling with Shopify today and discover how millions of businesses around the world use Shopify to ignite their selling. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. Shopify.com slash listen. 